the mother that uh, taught her children to pray for everything, pray about everything that they need. And one evening as uh, the mother knelt beside the bed with her little boy and he began to pray, he prayed the prayer that most little boys pray, as I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep if I should die before I wake. He paused. He said, Jesus, can I have breakfast with you in the morning? That's children. They, they know. They, they believe. They, they trust that the Lord uh, will answer what they ask for. And so it's always been wonderful to know that we can pray that way and that we can be a help to one another. I want to talk to you this morning. Uh, you know, I think about our world and our society and the things that we see going around Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17, is considered the Ten Commandments. And you know, in our society, in most places today, they want to do away with the Ten Commandments. Take them down out of the buildings. I, I can remember uh, they didn't achieve it, but in, uh, if you've ever been to the, to the main uh, house in Columbus, Ohio, on the wall, is the Ten Commandments. They've been, they've been many, many places. They've had to remove them. But you know why they want to remove them is because our society don't want to live by them. They, want to, they don't want to listen to what the commandments has to say. But I believe that we live in a society that is totally out of control. And I say that this morning because I believe we have become an addiction using, abusing, inducing society. Everywhere we look, we find there is a growing consciousness that our society is completely morally out of control. And I don't know whether you realize it or not, but there's also the realization that a moral out of control society is a sick society. Everywhere we turn and listen today, from the schoolhouse to the courthouse to Washington, D.C., we find a sick society because everywhere we look, we see it. This is not just a judgment of a pastor or a preacher. It is a growing concern among people from all backgrounds, those looking with concern over our society. What are we going to do in this world that we live? What are we going to do to change these kinds of things? And I looked at our society. The reason I say that is because not only do we abort children that we don't want, but now we abort them and sell the body parts. In a society where we are so messed up, that we consider any marriage that is same-sex okay. That's not scriptural. When we live in a society where we have legalized drugs, we have a problem. We, we talk about all of the drug problems, and yet we want to legalize them so that more people will get involved in them, and one drug leads to another, to another, to another. I tell people all the time, any time that in my ministry that I've talked, even the young people say, well, you know, there's preachers today that says it's all right to drink a little. Well, let me tell you something. No alcoholic ever became an alcoholic because the only reason he became it is because they took that first drink. You see, the first number one will drive to a second, to a third, to a fourth, until finally it will take over your whole system. 
And so we live in a society where we think that's okay. We have the problem with gender change. Many of us realize that Boy Scouts now accepting girls. You know why that is? It's because we believe there is no gender realization. There's no male or female anymore. It's moving in that direction because of society that is so sick and out of control. When I begin to think about the aborting, not only of babies, but now they want you to take a test to see whether your child is going to be a Down syndrome or not. If it is, you need to abort it. You see, that is a sick society. And I think today that the reason we have all of this going on, America is out of control. We have actually convinced ourselves with slogans today that will save us. The slogan says, shoot up if you must, but use a clean needle. And so you know what happens? This last week now in New York City, the new mayor of New York City, who's been there, who's been nothing but trouble, now has set up clinics where people that want to take drugs can go there and use a clean needle that their taxpayers will pay for. Instead of telling them to get off of drugs, we're encouraging drugs. Something's wrong with our society. Something's wrong, church, when we begin to think about that. We have others that says, enjoy sex whenever, with whomever you wish. Some have put even, even pot smoking. I read not long ago an article in, out in the state of Oregon where there's a church that actually says you can smoke pot and get high. Let me tell you something. If that's the only way the church can get high, we're in trouble. Let me tell you something, you want to get high, get down on your knees and come before God and allow Him to cleanse your heart and your life and get salvation in your heart and get sanctification in your soul and you'll be high. You don't need pot to get there. Well, we live in a society that's thinking all of The answer, my friend, is no. Not because it's cool or smart or because we may end up in jail or we may be dying from these things on a, of AIDS in an AIDS ward, but because it is wrong. Let's be honest. These things are wrong. We can't just label them and think things are okay. Because we have spent 5,000 years, my friend, thinking about this, as human beings trying to drag ourselves out of sin's clutches. We've tried the best, my friends, searching for truth and moral absolutes. And, and the purest form of truth, my friend, is not a light tap on the shoulder. It's not compromising because everybody else is doing it. My friend, the truth is, is that when someone is doing something wrong, the Spirit of God deals with your heart and shouts at you. I mean, He stops you in your tracks. Have you ever been in a place like that? I remember visiting a prison in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. It's, a, it's, it's one of the biggest and largest for the worst of the worst. And I remember the family asking me to go visit someone there when I was pastoring in Pennsylvania. And I drove in and I found a place to park. I walked a long ways and, and pretty soon I was walking down this walkway and I heard somebody hollering, Stop! I looked, and I didn't see anybody. I started walking a little further. I thought, well, I might be going crazy. But I walked on a little further, and I heard somebody say, I said, stop! And I began to look, and pretty soon he said, look up. Brother, let me tell you something. There were three guards walking around with big old guns on them, walking the wall beside where I was walking. 
because I wasn't supposed to be in that area. I just, I just told him when I got there, you know, just a dumb preacher, never pays attention, never knows where I'm at, just doing the thing that I felt I needed to do. But you know what? When they hollered that word, there was something that made me think, what am I doing wrong? Well, I'm going to tell you something. The Spirit of God will do that to you. When you get yourself in a position where you shouldn't be and acting something you shouldn't be acting at, let me tell you something. The Spirit of God will come to you in a special way and will holler at you. Well, Moses, when we read the Scripture, Moses brought down from Mount Sinai not ten suggestions. A lot of people say, well, that's a good idea. That's a good, good thought. But let me tell you something. These were, not, these were not just suggestions from God. These were commands of the Lord. And so the growing concern of our society is out of control. It becomes a sick society. I remember one time hearing about John Worley who came all the way from England to Canada to speak to a college group that was graduating. And when he was introduced and he stood into the place where I'm standing like I am this morning, he simply said these words. He began his speech by saying, I have traveled 4,000 miles to tell you there's a difference between right and wrong. Let me tell you something. We ought to have more John Morley's in the college campuses today telling right and wrong. The Bible tells us that our covenant relationship with God was established with Israel A man named Moses was given a set of commandments, which we have come to know as the Ten Commandments. Did you know that these commandments tell the difference between right and wrong? That's what they're all about. It tells you the difference between right and wrong. And I hear a lot of people say, well, we're we're living beyond that. Let me tell you something. If you're living beyond that, then you, you got yourself in trouble. Because the Ten Commandments, the first four of those Ten Commandments deal with our relationship with God. Now notice what it says. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself any graven images. You shall not take the Lord thy God's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Now those are the first commandments that are given. Those first four, my friend, is your charge before God. And then the remaining six commandments deal with our relationship with one another. Now notice what it says, honor your father and your mother. You shall not kill, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. The Ten Commandments, Ten Rules of Human Conduct, often ridiculed today. But I want to tell you something, often they are ignored. It is said that one time that Napoleon III had a major problem as a leader. One of the problems that he had was that he didn't know how to say no. He could speak six languages, but his wife said he didn't speak no in any one of them. Whenever he came to a temptation, he had that curly little mustache, and he would curl the edge of it, and then he would concede. And she said one time that if he didn't learn how to say no, she was going to cut that mustache off. Well, let me tell you something. I think sometimes we need to learn to say no to something. We have a lot of people in our society who can't say no to temptation. The world is out of control. Our world reminds me 
of a building that was built years ago in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I mean, it was a six-story building. It was a beautiful building. And many people were tenants that was in that building. They had a problem. For five years, they couldn't figure it out. Every time the weather got cold and they turned the thermostat to get more heat, it seemed like the building got colder instead of warmer. And then when the summer came and it got hot in the building and they wanted to turn down the thermostat, in order to get cool, it seemed to get hotter in the building. And so they began to check it out. And, and somebody finally come along. They checked to see the thermostats were working well. The problem was they were labeled upside down. Well, you know what? I think a lot of people in our society is labeled upside down. They don't know the right from wrong. They don't understand the things that need to be taking place. Much to their surprise, they found this. Our moral thermostats in our society today seem to be upside down. The big issue today in our generation is character. Think about it. Of all the news that we hear about, the misconduct of CEOs, I mean men and women that have the largest jobs and have the most money in the world, and yet they find themselves getting themselves in trouble doing immoral things. We find it not only with them, but we find it even with school teachers. There was a day and a time when school teachers were, were looked at as a model for our children. But today we read and we hear on the news of these teachers that have gotten involved with their students. Why? Because somewhere along the line, we've got our thermostats all messed up. You see, we don't know when to say no. We find that with our politicians. It's amazing the people that are flying out of Washington nowadays. Because you see, now it's a big habit. I mean, every attorney that can't make it any other way is taking on these cases of these women and these men that are saying they, they played foul. They, they did the wrong things. They said the wrong thing. And you know, some of them have been back 20 years ago. And all of a sudden, they know their name's going to come out on that television screen. So they're not running anymore. They're getting there. They're running for their life. Why? Because they're immorality. You see, you can't hide from God. You might hide from people and you might get, you know, politicians. It's, it's with men. It's with women. It's with children. It's a character problem that we have in our country today among our people. Why? Because we're a society that's out of control. How do we get into this situation? Have you thought about it? I've got a lot of thought this last week. I've had some time. I, I'm, you know, I, I, I give, let me just say that it's not Mother's Day, but I thank God for the women. <laughs> I thank God for the mothers that take care of their children and take care of uh, their sick husbands and, and their family, their mothers and dads. I, I've been a nursemaid this last week. That's a lot of work. And, you know, I begin to think as I was sitting, thinking about, I am convinced that the loss of the presence of God in our society is at the root of all moral decline. Now, let me repeat that. I am totally convinced that the loss of the presence of God in our society where we live is the root of all decline. The loss of the presence of God in a person's life. You see, when God's not there, when the Spirit's not there to guide us and direct us to make the right decisions and to make the right choices, we get ourselves in real difficulties. You know, when theologians were saying a few years ago that God is dead, that God is dead, they meant that God had lost His place of importance in the life of the Christian today in our society. 
We turn today to, when we get sick, we turn to medical doctors. I mean, we've got so many of them, and I tease all the time because, you know, I hear people say, well, I went to this doctor. How did this turn out? Well, they told me to go see this one. When you got to that one, how did it turn out? Well, they told me to see that one. You know, we, when we have a sick problem today, we just go from doctor to doctor and hospital to hospital and one after another. We don't need the Lord anymore. Let's face it. Our society believes that medical science is more important than what God can do. The Bible says if there's any sick, let them call for the elders of the church. And I'm not against doctors, but I'm saying one thing, my friend, that I know a lot of doctors. I've, I've pastored long enough that I know a lot of Christian doctors that love the idea. I've been in surgery. I've been right next to people, sometimes praying for them and praying for the doctor that's working on them. I had a heart doctor over in in Ohio, in Bell Fountain, Ohio, when I was there, Dr. Petno is a heart specialist. And he used to say to people all the time, he said, you know, bring that preacher in here. Bring him in here. He needs to be praying for this person. They're nervous. They're upset. And you know what? You take their hand and pray for them. And he said, you know, their blood pressure would just drop to normal. Why? Because, you see, prayer does things. But our generation believes totally in just going to physicians. So, so why do we need God when we got great medical doctors? Psychologists when we are fearful. Whenever we have fear, instead of coming to the Lord with our fears and asking Him to take out that fear and give us the faith to believe beyond that, you see, we go to psychologists today. They, they can solve our problems when we're fearful. Prominent role models today is now Hollywood, and, and even beyond Hollywood now, it's become... The prominent role models is our, our great basketball champions and our great football and our great, uh, uh, you know, tennis champions. These people that have been, that are so wonderful, that's the kind of person that we look up to instead of looking for our stance in the Word of God. You see, why do we need God when we've got all of these people that can supply those needs? When we desire to know right and wrong behavior, we go to the wrong people. In our world today, what? Does God make any difference in many people's daily lives? What difference does it make? That's why we must recapture this morning. We must reread the 20th chapter. My friend, we must reread those Ten Commandments as more than just suggestions. These are God spoken through the law and the prophets, and clearly, more importantly, through Jesus Christ, the Son of God to show us what is good and right and lasting. You see, the foundation of all morality, our foundation for all morality and ethics is the realization that we must have that I, the Lord your God, shall and have be, there shall be no other gods before me. You see, when we come to the place of that, Paul reminds us in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 25, Paul teaches us that people who worship the creature rather than the Creator, they give themselves to unnatural passions. You know, we, we, we look at the world today and we worship the thing in amazement of what man can do and what man can make. And we begin to worship that rather than worship the God who created it all. And so when I begin to think about that, we have put our emphasis on ourselves and forgotten God. And the sad thing is that when that happens, we end up demeaning ourselves. What is, what is it that gives us greatness? It's that you and I were created in the image of God. When I begin to think about that, you know, 
People say, well, how do we know what God looks like? Look at yourself in the mirror. Because God created us in His image. He breathed into us the breath of life. His home spirit within us. We have lost a sense of the presence of God. We have come to the place where we worship the creature rather than the Creator. With our loss of the presence of God, we become unclear of what's right and what's wrong. It's hard for people to understand. I hear people all the time say, how will I know what's right and what's wrong? How, how will I know that? Well, let me tell you something. When you are in a relationship with God, when you're in a you know, God is much like your mother. You know, your mother taught you right from wrong. Your mother told you to keep your cotton-picking hands off of certain things, and, and when you got your hands on them and you got stung or you got bit or you got burnt, and you come to her, she'd say, well, didn't I tell you not to bother that? Didn't I tell you to stay away from that? I remember a boy down in West Virginia got bit by a rattlesnake, copperhead. And, and I never realized this until I was down there, but, but the, his mother said, well, he got bit, but I told him to stay away. He had Blackberry Pass along the street, along the driveway, going back to their house. And she said, no, son, you stay away from that Blackberry Pass. Because them copperheads are cooling. they got a nest under there. They're laying under there. They're cooling themselves. And she said, now, when you walk by there and you smell cucumbers, you know there's a copperhead there. I never realized that. So I'm going around smelling, trying to find a copperhead. <laughs> you know, I want to see if she's telling the truth. But she was. And when she said, you walk by there, did you not smell that? He said, yeah. But boy, them berries look good. And about time he reached for some and he got them off and they were okay, he reached down under that bush and that copperhead bit him on the finger. Well, let me tell you something. Sometimes, you know, our natural, if we know something's wrong, we stay away from it. I mean, no matter how good it looks, no matter how tempting it is, no matter how much thirsty you are for it, no matter how much hungering you have for it, if it's wrong, you stay away from it. Because the Bible teaches that. And when you do that, you'll, you'll not have it. But you see, our loss of the presence of God has become so unclear that we don't know right from wrong today, acceptable or unacceptable, appropriate or inappropriate. Many people wonder in, in a spiritual fog today. Many people don't understand. They, they're not deep enough in the Word. They're not in enough prayer life. and They're, they're not in contact with God enough that they find themselves in a, in a fog and they, they, they seem to be trying to feel their way through it. And when you do that, sometimes you get in trouble. The sad, ironic result is that it's not freedom. But by it, Paul says we find ourselves back in slavery. We become slaves to the things of the world. A few years ago, a psychologist, you know, they decided that they, they were going to solve the problems, you know. The schoolyard reminds me every time I go out to visit Millie and Phyllis out there. You know, I go down the road and there's a there's an Amish schoolhouse there. There's a fence all around it. And I thought about that story I read years ago about that fence around the schoolhouse. You know, they used to put fences around the schoolyard and a teacher would let them out for recess. And, you know, uh, six buddies would get together and they'd go down to this corner and, and they'd have a chat and these girls would gather over on this corner and, 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 you know, and then some would stay in the middle and play ball. But the psychologists got this idea that the children need to feel 
without being fenced in. They don't need to be fenced in. And so they decided they ought to tear the fence down. Tear the fence down. Don't fence these kids in like animals. So they took the fence down. An amazing thing they found out happened in that research, that those kids that were let out for recess never left the schoolhouse more than 15 feet from the front door and the steps. They all gathered in the center. Nobody went way out to the edge anymore. Because you see, they had fear of what was out there. As long as the fence was there, they felt secure. As long as there was something out there. Let me tell you something. That's exactly what the Bible does for us. We all need to have fences. We all have to have guidelines. We all have to have rules that we live by. And you don't go beyond that rule or you get in trouble. But you know what? A lot of people say, well, we don't need that. I, I know what's best for me. I know what's going to be. But let me tell you something. This is why we need guidelines today. That's how you get to where you're going as an individual. You've got to have a guideline. You've got to have a goal. My wife said this morning, she said, be sure to tell everybody I'll see him next week. I said, yeah, I don't say that. How do I know that? She said, well, you heard what the doctor said Friday. Give it another week. I said, you got another doctor tomorrow on Friday. He may say, give it another week, you know. But you know what? We, she got a goal. And there's, it's a good thing. I've always set goals for myself. I, I would get up in the morning and I would set a goal of how many people I want to make contact with. I want, I, want to, I want to make a goal of what I can do and what we can accomplish and how it can happen. And, and I'm always thinking about what the goal might be. Have I always met my goal? No, but I've always, always kept trying. Never quit. Just keep trying. Keep going. I visited some people... In, in the world that was sinners, that was out there, and I'd go on all kinds of occasions, and I would do all kinds of things for them. I would do everything I could to make an impact that somehow they would listen to what I had to say. Some of them took a few years. Some you caught them on the first warm, you know. I mean, the first time you threw that bait out there, buddy, they, they nabbed it. And there's others, boy, you know what, they just wore you out. I mean, you'd think you had them on the limb and they wouldn't be there. But let me tell you something. The reason for that is is we need guidelines. We need to know as individuals of where we're going. And the commandments is the best set of guidelines in our society to govern itself. Now, we have shared with you of what the, new, what the uh, Ten Commandments would be, but you know what? It goes beyond that. You know, the importance of the Ten Commandments... I believe there's one more. There's one more thing that needs to be said. There's one more guideline that we need to have. Strictly abiding by the Ten Commandments, my friend, will not save you. I want you to know that. I believe you ought to abide by them, but I don't believe they'll save you. No matter how committed, no matter how straight-laced, no matter how law-abiding you may be, my friend, there is no saving power living up just by living up to the demands of these great commandments. Paul reminded us many, many times in the people of the church that the law only confines, it only restricts, it does not empower. We need a law that's higher than that. And that's the reason why that God sent His only begotten Son. That's the reason why Jesus came into the world, my friend. We needed that higher power. You see, we need that in 
that ingredient that would make it different. Don't give in to that, uh, that, that, the idea that just because I'm a good person or just because I, I don't break any of the laws of the Ten Commandments, let me tell you something, there's one more beyond that. And that is that you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He needs to take control of your life. And I guarantee you this, that once Jesus begins to take control of your life and you invite Him in and He takes over your life, you will live by the Ten Commandments along with this. You see, it's not that we quit doing them. Our country today, my friend, today, where is the self-giving love that God gave to us? He gave His only begotten Son. He, he, the Son that He loved. The Son that He that, that was made in His own image. The Son that He enjoyed. He saw that the world and you and I were in sin. We were lost. We were going to be without hope. And so what did He do? He gave His Son. And we have to accept Him. Once we accept Him, it makes a difference. But today, where is the self-giving love in this nation that we live? Where is the love today? Let me ask you that. Because I think everywhere we look, we see hatred. I mean, everywhere and every turn, people are hating one another. That's the reason why kids are killing kids. That's the reason why husbands are killing wives and and wives are killing husbands. That's the reason why people in business are are doing the things that they do. It's because, you see, there's so much hatred in us. We need to have the love. In a church where a pastor pastored one time talked about a lady that had that kind of love. Tells about a general service like we had here this morning, is leading the service along and said, Is there anybody have a special request? He said, Every time there was an opportunity, every time the preacher would ask, every time he said I'd ask, as our special request, there was one fellow that always said about midway back, he 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 was a poor guy. He he didn't speak real well. He didn't he he just seemed like he grew up in a time that was hard for him to ever make it much in life. Not many people paid much attention to him, but every service he said he would raise his hand and he would say, Pastor, pray for Miss Nelson. He said, We prayed for Miss Nelson for five years. I didn't even know who Miss Nelson was, he said. At every service, whether it was Sunday morning, Sunday night, or Wednesday night, this man would say, pray for Miss Nelson. Miss Nelson had died, and it came to knowledge. Into the paper that Miss Nelson had worked at the local store for a number of years in a little community store. And this man that always prayed for her, always had them pray for her, he grew up with difficulties in life. We didn't know the terms that we use today, but he had a lot of malfunction in his body, and his speech was never good, and his eyes were never really all that clear. But his mother, who was her only son, loved him so much that she would buy the best clothes, and she would dress him every day before he went out to play in the best clothes, looked like Sunday clothes, and he would go out to play, and all the kids in the neighborhood would laugh at him because of the way he was dressed. 
Some of them would come to him and grab his clothes and put mud on him, and others would spit on him, and some of them would chase him down the street, and, and they just give him a radical time. And, and what this man did, he said he remembers that he was so fearful and so afraid that he would run to that grocery store and go behind that counter to Miss Nelson. And she would pull him close to her skirt and in a little while, she'd kneel down and she'd talk to him and she'd love on him and she'd tell him he was a good boy and don't worry about that. Just don't, don't let them get the best of you. And she cared for him and shared with him all through his young life. And the reason he was praying for her was because he could remember now Miss Nelson was in his place. You see, she had grown sick and couldn't come to church anymore. She was at home bedridden. That he remembered how she loved him, how she cared for him, how she mothered him, how she protected him when she was well and he wasn't. And now she's sick and he's well and he wanted to make sure that the church prayed for her to help her through this difficult time. Let me tell you something. Love does an amazing thing with people. That's the reason why Jesus said that the Ten Commandments are wonderful. But there's one that is greater than all. And that is when we love the Lord Jesus with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, and with all of our minds. And that we love our neighbor as ourselves. How much do we love today? I think that's what the Apostle Paul was writing about. You know, we, we want to read it in almost every wedding I've ever done. You know, Young couples have come and said, I want you, Pastor, I want you, I want you to use the 23rd, I want you to use Psalm, or Corinthians 13. I want you, I want you to read that as our wedding, and, and I want you to, 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 to let people know this is the kind of love we have. But let me tell you something, it's not, a, it's not that kind of a love. You see, 1 Corinthians 13 says, Now I want to show you an excellent way. You want to look for an excellent way? You know what? When people say, I- I'll show you the way, it's not the best way. Have you ever heard tell you that? You know what? My GPS is like that. It's got to be from the world. It never shows me the right way, <laughs> the easy way. I mean, sometimes I've been there twice, and that thing will talk to me, and I'll say, shut up, I know where I'm going. <laughs> because I'll tell you what, the gas companies has to have some money in them because they always take you on the longest route. I mean, but you know what it says? I want to show you the excellent way. If I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can, can, and can fathom all of the mysteries and all of the knowledge, if I have faith that can move mountains, but not love, I'm nothing. If I give all my possessions to the poor and I surrender my body to the flames, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Notice what it says here. And I think we need it in our world more than any other time. And we need it to be demonstrated in the church. Love is patient. How you doing? Love is kind. How you doing? It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, 
It rejoices in truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things behind me. Now we see but the poor reflection in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now all these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Oh, my friend, you would be amazed at what love will do. What love will do for people. When, when I tell people, you know, I, I just love you for the, what you've done. I just love you for the way you react to that. People say, how do you know you love me? Let me tell you why. Because you see where there's faith, hope, and love. Love always outshines them all. You can have all the faith in the world, but if you don't love people. You can have all the hope of going to heaven and seeing Jesus face to face. And I had that hope. But if I don't love you, how will I ever convince you? You see, for God so loved, I hate the word world, because God loved all creation. God doesn't see anybody any greater, any better than one another. He judges all of us for who we are, how He created us, and what we can do. And you know what? I love it when I see people that can do things that I can't do. I love it. I, I just so would so enjoy being able to sit down on that piano and make it play like Joyce makes it play. Oh, wow. Oh, oh wasn't that want? But I'm not a piano player. This thing here, I'd run you out of here. You see, that's not my gift. But I love the way the instruments are played. I love the way they sing. Love conquers it all. If you really want to make influence with people, learn how to love. Learn how to do it. And you want to know how to do it? You say, how do you know that? Go back and recite and recite and recite and recite 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And then begin to say, Lord... Embedded in my heart. Help me to be a person that when people talk to me, they can see that I care about them. I'm not putting them down. I want to lift them up. I think that's what our world needs today. In a world that's out of control, we need people that will stand for the truth in love and saying to them what real love is is staying true to your mate, staying true to your family, staying true to your friends, but more importantly, staying true to God. How much do you love this morning? God wants to give you a brand new blessing of the love 
that you can share this next week with people that you meet, no matter where they are, no matter how badly they treat you, that let them know that the love of God is working through your life. He can give you that today. That's that. Father, this morning, we thank You for the Ten Commandments that You've given us. And Lord, we know that when we live by them that we will be a better person. But Lord, more importantly, we need to know that we have You living in our hearts and lives. Oh God, we thank You today for the love that You have extended to every one of us. And Father, for that one that's feeling put down, that one that's feeling disappointed, that one that feels that they're not worth anything, help them to see, Lord, that You gave Your Son that You loved them enough that You wanted to bring them into Your fold. Father, for that one that might need that loving touch today, we pray that You would allow them to make that move, to come to this place and just simply say, Lord Jesus, I'm here. I need Your love. I need Your care in my heart today. And Father, we know that You'll give it to them if they ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Will You come as we sing?